0: Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast and this week we are switching it up yet again as I bring my friend Meredith Boggs back on the Radiant Podcast to switch roles with me this time to interview me. I love getting to switch it up here at the Radiant Podcast, and Meredith is one of my dearest friends, so she knows the exact questions that you might be wondering. We get into some topics that we are both so passionate about and have been a total game changer as we have run our businesses and built our brands. I am so thankful for the conversation Meredith facilitated today, and I think you're going to love it. So let's get to it.
1: Hi, Kelsey. Hello. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm excited
0: for you to talk to me.
1: This is so fun. <laughs> it's kind of like the roles are reversed a little bit. I get to interview you on the Radiant I know, Podcast podcast. Like, oh, that could come out Ooh. in our conversation. Ooh, people and... get
0: to be a fly on the wall with our everyday intensity.
1: Yes. Oh, it'll be so great. Okay, so I just, just kick us off for your listeners because they hear you interview people all the time and they get to know these other amazing women that you have on the Radiant Podcast. But will you tell us Just about, tell us who Kelsey is. Tell us what makes you
0: you. Well, this month, Kelsey is hibernating and trying to enjoy her summer with less meetings and more fun which is very true to me. Anyways, I'm sure we'll get into that. People are probably like, don't you always have fun? But but really, less meetings, more fun, and just some traveling. And so I am working on some programs coming up. I've been working on a book proposal, and all of which you have had your eyes on and saved my tail on a few occasions. And yeah, that is what I'm doing right now. I'm sure people hear all the things I'm doing all the time, but that that is what this month is.
1: That is so fun. So many exciting things. Okay. So you talked about your hibernating less meetings, more fun. What does fun look like? If you had a dream day to just wake up and do whatever you wanted to do for the day, what would you do?
0: Freedom, Freedom. <laughs> margin, but realistically, it's not that I don't love plans because I do like to have fun on the schedule, like planned penciled in yeah, Just that structure. Yeah, I also love space, like total open space. But if I have too much space, I get a little bored. So it's like, you know, balancing this balancing act of just enough scheduled in fun and just enough wide open margin to do what I want.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I I hear you. I totally get that. So with your wide open margin, do you tend to find that you want to just rest and relax? Or are you like, Oh yeah, what's the next activity? Let's find something else fun to do. 1000%
0: the next activity. Um, now some of my activities are restful. So like last night, my friend Haley and I watched the bucket list family videos on YouTube. So it's not like we're Active and doing stuff, but or we went on an evening drive to like see my favorite part of town, and so you know, I am always doing something. David jokes that my, and I'm sure this is the same for you, that my slowing down is most people's sped up, but I am constantly in motion, so I try to slow down and enjoy that. And really, the only way for me to do that is Netflix, um, and maybe like a morning workout class if I'm in a in a good swing there but yeah usually activities on the radar but like very relaxing activities and I have found that you know when I do have a lot of unplanned time I'll fill it with probably some sort of creative outlet so this month a new hobby of mine which it's random that I at David's told me for years I need a hobby that's not work. So I'm finally figuring some of those things out. and I've downloaded the Lightroom app on my phone. and I've been editing photos with like presets
1: I buy from photographers and stuff. And it's so fun. who am I? That is so fun. That's such a great that's such a great, restful creative activity to do. For someone who's pretty fast-paced and like your sweet husband says, that you need a hobby other than work, that's, that's such a fun creative outlet. Yeah, because I
0: don't need these photos for work. Like I I would love to be able to take photos with my iPhone and edit them nicely versus always being reliant on a nice camera or someone with a more creative eye. I would just love to be able to edit something that looks amazing and be proud of it. And, you know, it's like I read here, like pull down the yellows and up the luminance and all this stuff. And so I'm, I'm playing. It's like probably the first real hobby I've had in a while other than reading.
1: That's so fun. Um, Okay. Well, that made me think of two questions. So first one is speaking of creativity and yeah, just having, just having some sort of creative outlet. Do you ever struggle as a business owner and as a entrepreneur, knowing that time spent creating is really, it's, it's imperative, but also feeling this pull, like it's some kind of luxury that you can only allow yourself time and space to create after all the work's done. Do you ever feel that? that pull or struggle with that balance so there's
0: two answers to that question in theory no like I'm like I can do fun things all the time and it's purposeful like as a seven I don't tend to feel guilt which I'm sure we'll dive into Enneagram talk but as a seven I like never feel a lot of guilt. Like I don't have negative self-talk most of the time. I'm like, oh, it's fine. I like life is great. But at the, on the flip side of that, whereas I don't really feel guilty for using my time in certain ways ever. I do have like, if I get task oriented on one task, it's not that I feel like I have to complete this task in order to play. It's just like a manic drive to complete the task at hand. So one, one thing would be like, like I have a few time sensitive tasks I need to do today, but I really got on this email inbox organization thing earlier. And it's like, I couldn't stop even though, even though I knew there were more important things to do. I just needed to get that one done for me to have mental decluttering done. And so it's not that it it's do one task in order to have fun. It's just whatever task all of a sudden feels like I need to do it. The most urgently, even though realistically there are some more deadline-sensitive tasks at hand.
1: Mm -hmm. I think I I totally resonate with that. (laughs) I think so many other people do too. Okay, so if I have no idea what the Enneagram is, give me the elevator pitch of what it is and then talk about being a seven.
0: So the Enneagram is a not-I mean, the easiest way to start is to say a personality typing system, but then I immediately Um, rephrase that in the sense that it doesn't measure your behaviors, it measures your motivations. So, you know, DISC, uh, Myers-Briggs, all of that are wonderful. I love them for measuring behaviors, but those behaviors can change, whereas your motivations do not, just how they are carried out. Change, and so I have loved the Enneagram because it it helped me make so much sense of myself when I dove in. You know, in previous podcasts, I've talked about my experience working with people with amazing visions and amazing missions, but they were getting in the way of their own success because of how they were wired. And so I really went on this quest to say, okay, I feel like I'm supposed to carry X, Y, Z into the world. I feel like my mission is important, my Y is important, but how do I steward that well? And And how do I care for the people around me? Like, if I have an audience who thinks I'm awesome, but team or set of friends that think I'm awful, like something's off. And so I really wanted to be able to see my blind spots and my pain points on the front end and then... I'd heard of the Enneagram you know, before, before I really dove in and maybe took a test online and was like, oh, that's cool. But when I started reaching these pain points where I'm working for really successful people and it's miserable, I was like, I really want to understand this so that when it's my turn to carry something into this world, I can do it. Well, and do it not perfectly, but better than if I didn't know anything about myself. And so I think I heard like a really great sermon from TD Jakes about entrepreneurship recently. And he was like, you know, we get all bent out of shape in the Christian community about introspection. We're like, oh, are we like getting obsessed with ourselves and not God? And he was like, that is so crazy because we date our spouse. We essentially date friends. We get to know all the other people in our lives, but we don't get to know ourselves. So that's kind of what the Enneagram was for me, was a way to understand my motivations and how I behave in stress and how I behave in health. It's really given me a grid for me to even measure where I'm at. And so, and even before that, I considered myself a pretty self-aware person, but that really, it transformed my business. It transformed my marriage. It transformed my friendships. I just, it has been a bonus all around. And so, yeah, I am a seven, the enthusiast. Um, I love to live in happy spaces, but I definitely know how to, I've done my, my work and I can, I can go to painful places and process them versus avoid them, which I'm prone to doing. But I still find it to be hard, you know, like if I'm in a conflict with a friend, I want to totally withdraw or I I do the exact opposite and get, you know, mad. And so, but just not feeling happy is actually really hard for me. So I have to work at like, how do I
1: process those feelings in a healthy way? (laughs) Yeah. In the Enneagram world, there is, you can hear it called different things. You can hear it called like, you know, just people living in an unhealthy space and disintegration, their shadow side, sin tendency, whatever, whatever it is. What has been the biggest thing for you in terms of because I think it's amazing that you worked with these other you worked with these other people in these other organizations. And you really early before branching out on your own got a clear picture of, oh, my gosh, this is what happens when you get in your own way. And this is what really inhibits you from bringing this gift into the world, which I think is amazing that you had that insight on the front end and have done so much work personally within your friendships, within your marriage, within your business to to really be the best, the best Kelsey that there is um, and the best Kelsey that you can bring to the world. What has been for people under getting a better understanding of the seven, what is your, what's your spiritual growth path look like? Or kind of what's your trajectory look like in terms of being that seven, that enthusiast, that kind of lust for life and fun and passion and energy, um, but also having to balance that with confronting pain and sitting in hard places. What's what's that path look like for you? So
0: for me, I I think I've really started a journey towards integration last year. And and I've been in therapy for ten years. Like I have always prioritized emotional health and healing and going deeper. And I have people say all the time, like you're not like a norm like you're not a typical seven. And I think that's because early in life I was faced with the hardest possible circumstances for that I had to navigate at that point not that it's a pain contest and it's any harder than anyone else's life but I I did have a lot of hard circumstances in my you know first 18 years of life so I knew to be an emotionally healthy person I should probably get some therapy and I started that 10 years ago but I really started Moving towards a seven's place of health last year. And what that looks like for me is a seven goes to a five in health and that starts to look like less is more. Um, I can be a total glutton for experiences, for life, for zest, for zeal. One more trip, one more thing, one more business gig. Um, And I learned that there's a lot of joy in slowing down because living in the fast lane is only sustainable for so long. And I, I could see myself on a pretty, pretty direct road to burnout. And I didn't want to live as this person who was moving so quickly through life that I missed it. I always think of this picture that Bob Goff paints at the, the beginning of his book, which he is a seven, so his book particularly spoke to me because it's his life lessons and here he is, you know, 20, 30 years older than me and, you know, is kind of writing about what he's already learned. And it's this this story of someone who starts with a sailboat and works his whole life to, to get to the yacht. And then he gets to the yacht at the end of his life and, and reminisces on the simplicity of having the sailboat. And I think about that in my life a lot because I have these big dreams that, you know, for me feel totally possible limitations don't even feel like a reality to me sometimes. So I'm like, oh, it will happen. But I don't want to move so fast towards those dreams that I miss these moments in between because the reality is, is I know I'll achieve those dreams. I'm not worried about that, but I'll get to them and I'll I'll reminisce on the simplicity of this season. Mm
1: -hmm. What does it look like every day for you to kind of incorporate that simplicity mindset into your daily living and into your daily business and practice?
0: So I think that um, that there's a couple areas for that. So last year when I could not sit still at my house, I wanted to slow down, but I couldn't. Like there was a compulsive need to be in motion for me. And I knew I wanted to be different. And so I couldn't sit still. I wasn't reading. I wasn't sitting on my couch, sitting down like... I would work or be with people constantly and I knew I wanted to slow down and so I started taking these drives which most of my friends and probably even some of my audience knows about my love for drives like I put 75,000 miles on my car in two years like it's ridiculous but it was for my sanity so it's worth it. And I would take these morning drives with a cup of coffee and just listen to a podcast or music, and it was the only time in my day I could sit still. I was just not at the most healthy place to be able to slow down. And so that was probably the beginning of me learning how to slow down. And I think for someone listening, you know, that might... Yeah, you might be laughing and think you're still in motion, but for me, being able to sit still in my car, not be on my phone and just listen and be and drive, that was my version of slowing down for that season. And that that paved the way for really being able to slow down to sit in my bed and read at the end of the day this year. You know, and so it's taken a lot of time to reprogram myself and I think, you know, when you're starting a business, It's easy to buy into the idea of hustle. And I actually think hustle can be necessary in the beginning. Um, But there comes a point where it's no longer sustainable. So it started with my drives. Now, I mean, you will read every single piece of Enneagram literature and it'll say a seven needs to work out more than any other number. But what's the one thing I have not wanted to do? Work out. Not because it's painful, because it's boring. And so I I have friends who will just be like, Kelsey, if you just push through the pain, get better. And I'm like, it is not about the pain. I am bored. No matter what workout it is. But I, as I've, as I have, you know, pushed through those first few weeks where I'm like, when is this going to end? I'm bored. Can I move on to something more entertaining? I've actually learned to really enjoy it. And I never thought that was possible. And so I, that has been a way of become more integrated and just starting my day, not working. And, and I, you know, I've tried to have my quiet time or reading at the front end of my day and I can't seem to sit still. So if I'll leave my house, I'll go for a little loop of my drive before my workout with a cup of coffee and then arrive at my workout and then come home. I find that my day is more healthily paced. It doesn't start with like manic working
1: right mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. I- Are you one of those people that I feel like I go through cycles where I do really good and then I fall off the wagon again, but my my practice is i try to when i go to bed at night that's it i'm not going to lay in my bed and scro- scroll through social media i'm not going to be checking my email it's one of those things that it's like i'm a grown up if i want to stay up till 2 a.m on instagram i can do that but it's just a boundary that i've set for myself that i'm not going to go lay in my bed for 2 hours and just deprive myself of sleep because i'm just mindlessly scrolling through social media and then likewise when i wake up in the morning when i reach for my phone i'm so bad about clicking on my inbox and scrolling through emails and doing all this stuff before I'm even out of bed. And it just really does not set me up for success in the day. and just doesn't start my day on the trajectory that I want to. Do you find that you, as having high energy and always wanting to be in motion doing something, do you have a hard time at night stopping and putting it all down and going to bed and waking up in the morning to kind of a slower, um, more quiet pace? Yeah, so I have to, I, I do like to fall asleep with
0: tv on my computer so I've thought about like I know people are very anti-television in bedrooms but it almost be my it might be to that point where I should just put a television in there to not have my computer on but I'll like close all my tabs with my email and make sure that's not even popping up and populating and I'm not super tempted to scroll on social media at night I think that's just the one pro of running an Instagram business as I literally could care less about it most days now because it's just my business. (laughs) Like I care about caring for, I'm way more prone to slipping into emails because that's a client. I care about my client, but I don't actually want to scroll at night because I'm over Instagram. You know, I fantasize about gardening, Um, but I am prone to getting on my computer and answering email and just one more task and one more thing. And so I'll just close out those tabs so I don't even see them. And I've, I've caught myself really not feeling the need to work at night anymore. And something has shifted with my mornings as well, but I didn't get there till this year. And it started with my drives last year. So as silly as that sound, it's been like this slow evolving process of like step-by-step step into a more integrated life. <laughs> but <coughs> now it's just answering emails, even getting to a point of setting boundaries with people's access to me, like I will, I might respond, you know, an hour later, but I also might respond a day or two later. And that's actually very normal email practice, but I like to respond immediately. But then I set the expectation that they expect a response immediately and it it can feel
1: really overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of circling back to you a little bit at the Enneagram. So, you know, the more you study it, the deeper you can dive into it. And I just think it's so fascinating, but they kind of break it up into triads based on your numbers and triads based on where, you know, are you a gut feeler? Do you, or do you feel things in your gut? Do you think things through analytically in your head? Or are you just really in touch with your emotions? And then, you know, we kind of talked about how they can delineate spiritual practices based on your number and even kind of where you wing to, and and I love for so for kind of spiritual practices. There's solitude, silence, and stillness, and based on your number, you fall into one of those. In terms of that's your that's part of your trajectory. Um, and I think what's so interesting about you specifically, Kelsey, is that you are seven with a wing of an eight, which falls into two of the different triads. And so so it's silence for a seven, but it's stillness for an eight. How how do silence and stillness look different? to you? How is that? How do both of them bring you? uh, How do both of those things kind of fill you back up? And how are they really hard for you to practice?
0: So that is so fascinating. I'll answer how they fill me up in practice. Like you'll never catch me signing up for a silent retreat. Like how freaking boring. I think that is so amazing for my people who do that. Like, but that's not going to happen because it feels like I would be subjecting myself to torture for two days. Like, why would I do that? I have friends who do that for like, you know, their faith journey. And I'm like, that's so awesome. I feel no obligation to sign up for that. So be awesome for you. (laughs) Um, But I I did a story like probably four or five months ago on Instagram because I thought I didn't have a I didn't have um, an understanding of this need for silence for sevens. Um, And it's rare that I sit in total silence. Like I do like to work in silence, but to actually like lay on the floor and meditate in silence. Whoa, like I'm working on it. We're getting there. But one thing I asked, which was, I was actually, I thought everyone would think this way. I know better than that. But I thought I had, I put a story up and I was like, I can tell a difference in my emotional health when I'm listening to music versus podcast because I can see that if I'm in a space where I'm actually listening to music, not consuming information, I'm doing better. And everyone else said it's the opposite. Most of the people responding, like I had some people like me responding and they're like 100%, but the large majority were like, no, I'm actually in a healthier season if I'm consuming information. And I was really fascinated by that because I, I, I just thought I had stumbled onto a new idea, you know, whatever. And everyone else felt the opposite. And for me, it really highlighted, I am always on a quest to consume, to learn more. One more business tip, one more story, one more thing. And I can consume with like a manic craziness. Um, I love to learn just one more thing. And I can actually grasp that I'm at a little bit healthier place when I'm listening to music because I, I'm only listening listening to music for the sheer enjoyment of art. I'm not trying to get something out of it. And I I really now that I have an understanding of this silence, I'd say music is an equivalent of silence to me. Obviously it's still noise, but it's not there's no agenda when I'm listening to music, whereas there is when I'm filling my head or my my ears with in- information every second. And so I think those drives where I just go on a drive over Colorado Springs, instead of listening to a podcast, I put an album on, I can tell a difference in where I'm at in those seasons.
1: I think that's so cool. Cause there is such a, there is such correlation, I think between music and it's use in meditative practices or in centering prayers or some kind of some kind of practice like that so i think that's really cool that you found that um, especially in relation to your number and your stance on the enneagram
0: yeah it's it's pretty neat i was like wow I, i i my version of silence is probably not often good i mean i i'm i'm I am working on it, but it's probably not going to be sitting still or silent for long, long periods of time. But if I can find my version of that, I'm pretty, pretty happy.
1: Okay. So we're going to take a little bit of a turn here, but I think that, I think everyone has an event or some kind of, whether it's a life circumstance or whether it's just some kind of belief or understanding that they've arrived at that almost splits your life in two. And it's kind of like, this is my life before and this is my life after, whether it's something as big and, you know, traumatic is like, oh, my house burned down or my, you know, my child died or something like that. You have these events that kind of split your life in two and you keep talking about last year, last year, last year. What, if you will tell us a little bit, what kind of last year was kind of, whether was it a breaking point, whether it was something that you arrived at, a new understanding that kind of set you on this trajectory of kind of, kind of coming back in alignment with who you are and kind of restructuring, resetting, reprioritizing whatever whatever verbiage you want to use, if you'll talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, gosh, it's like everything I think at times I described last year as the worst year of my life. <laughs> I think I do remember you saying that a few times. Um and I had a lot of hard years. Like I You know, it's finally like, January 1 this year, something shifted and Uh life was better. Um, (laughs) It's like, you finally have a few hard years in a row and a good one is just like, this is the best year ever. Uh Um, But I'd say like everything came to like a head last year. So, you know, things happened in our family that David and I weren't prepared to face where... It was like, oh my God, like this is painful and this is nothing either of us did, but we are in pain and we've got to face it and we've got to figure out the family legacy we want to leave with our people, so with our kids. I mean, and so I think we had to face that of like just painful, painful things came to the surface where, okay, like you never know when life's going to throw you a curveball. That was not an action David or I carried out. We just found out information about our family that all of a sudden, you know, one day it was sunny and bright and happy. And the next day we had new information that was some of the most painful information of our life to face. So there was that there was, you know, I was in year two of my business and I was implementing all the things I was working at like this manic pace of like Buying into all the entrepreneurial lies, I think one of my friends, Alexis, always says, masculine energy says go get it. Feminine energy says, let it come. And so I had been going and getting it. I had implemented every Facebook ad strategy I saw. I was buying every program. I was doing all the things and It left me at a place of burnout, where I was believing some lies of like I had to do all these things in order to be successful. So I was just in the peak of hustle, and again, I think hustle is necessary in the beginning. But that was probably my breaking point of this is no longer sustainable to work eighty hours a week. Like if you know my audience gets happy, awesome, kind Kelsey, and my husband and my friends get B Kelsey, we'll just say that here. um, You know, there's a problem, and so I think it was realizing that. It was closing the doors on a dream that now is like the best thing I ever did. But at the time, you know, I had radiant magazine and thought I would carry that through. I thought that was gonna be my life legacy. So closing that and closing a dream for someone who feels like all dreams are possible and realizing this is possible, but this is not what I want out of life anymore. Like something has shifted where the dream is possible to carry out but my life will not reflect the life I actually want. Facing that and having to choose was really hard. Um, and so just a lot of things coming to a head and realizing I need to simplify. I need to create time and space in my life to, to get health, And I, I really just have to, to do some healing this year. Um, it was so hard. It was so painful. I was really stressed. My stress levels were through the roof. My anxiety was out of control. And I think the the beginning of that journey was get my butt in counseling every other week and slowing down and it It took you know I probably started that in I started the act of the active implementation of slowing down in February, and I didn't feel the shift until December. And I joke all the time, because I have a, a girlfriend who's my personality, we are literal clones of each other, just soul sisters through and through. You know, or, um, but for my audience, that's Evan, if you ever see pictures of us. And I remember, you know, earlier in the year, when I, or mid-year, I closed Radiant, I merged everything I wanted into my personal brand, and I was at a place where I finally slowed down. And when I was running Grady, and I would always say, if I could just delegate this, if I could just hire someone to do this. And when I finally closed it, which eliminated all my problems of how overwhelmed I felt, I was all of a sudden bored. And I said, I think I'm going to get a part-time job at anthropology just for fun. Didn't need the money just for fun. And I have friends say, no, don't do it. You All you've wanted all year is to slow down and you're going to get a second job for fun. Like, who are you? And I, you know, didn't do it. I described last year as like living in a straitjacket, learning to slow down. And Evan, a few months later, all she wanted was a manager for her business. All she wanted was to hire someone to take over the management of her employees because we don't like to manage people and all that stuff. Second she gets a manager, she literally calls me that week and is like, Kelsey, I think I'm going to get a part-time job at Anthropology," And I'm like, no, don't do it. Like slowing down for a seven is hard work. Like that is hard. I think doers have to learn how to be and beers have to learn how to do. Um and so my life lesson that I always come back to is slowing down or resting with God or learning how to be or living in stillness. And I I think that um you know, I learn it in one season and then I relearn it in a different season. And so um last year was just hard for an array of reasons, but it was the beginning of Living the life I really actually
1: wanted. Hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's so ironic and I think at the same time so beautiful that it's it, it's the very things that we want so deeply. And so it's from such a, just from such a sacred place within our souls that are often they, I mean, they, they send us on the most challenging path because it is so and it's kind of almost in contrast to our nature. Like you were talking about being still and being quiet because you have all this energy and you have all these ideas and this excitement that once you actually have created that space, you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so bored. I need a part-time job. Um, but that's, and that is the work. That's the very work that, that needs to be done in terms of refining us and, um, creating us to be more of who we actually were created to be in alignment with who we really are.
0: Yeah. Cause it's like, for me, Everything feels possible. Nothing feels impossible. So I knew I would get to the day where I could slow down and enjoy life and have fun and go to the pool in the mornings and answer some emails in the afternoon. I had no idea learning the emotional process of getting there would be the hardest hurdle. Not not the strategies to implement. The emotional side, the emotional health was way harder to learn. And to get to that dream than the strategies to get there.
1: I love that we talk about this all the time on our uh, when we have our chats. But I love that you are so passionate and you see the value in personal counseling. And I think, I think especially for personality types like you and I who have a lot of energy and we don't necessarily we're not afraid to wade into those harder emotions. We just don't want to sit there for a long time. It's like okay, we can talk about them, we can feel them, whatever. But like, let's get on with the program. How has that been? as you've been really diving into that emotional work and having to confront pain, and it's not just confront it, but it's like, okay, sit in this for a little while. And just when you think it's time to get up and move and do something, because you always know the path, you always know what to do next, where to go. It's kind of like you're talking about people, there's people that are doers that need to learn how to be and people that are good at being that need to learn to do a little bit. How has that been as being full of energy, always knowing what to do and just having to just kind of sit in those more painful places oh god it's awful (laughs) i i
0: you know i i think first I, i see some examples of people in my life who haven't done the work and i'm like wow i don't want to be a peter pan when i'm 60 on the next quest for fun you know like that's not really who i want to be and i do kind of look at counseling as like this might be hard in the moment and just like nitty gritty, painful, a total drag, but there's more freedom and fun on the other side. And so I do look at it that way. Um, But there are definitely days where I show up at my counselor and I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like it. And I think just doing it anyways, and it, it can be draining. Like I went on Saturday and was just exhausted the rest of the day. But I also know for as many times as it's really draining, what has shifted in my life in the last year is so worth it. So it's like, I think it's what are those called? Opportunity costs or cost opportunities in business. Just like evaluating, yeah, this is draining and sitting in this and not doing and just feeling it is inconvenient and boring and a drag and mundane. But If I look at how my life has changed in the past year, it's more full and not like counterfeit full, just full of experiences, which would be my version of a counterfeit because I've lived there. Like I chose to slow down last year after I had traveled all the time for six months and was just like, I am numb and I'm exhausted in this. I don't even like all the things I used to like or everything that typically brings me joy has become a chore because I've packed too much into my life. And so I I look back at those seasons and see how much I've changed since then. And so I see the fruit of like, okay, I'm living with true fullness now. There's still pain. There's still hard things going on with our family, with our friends, with business, like there's always going to be like some hard seasons, but I'm learning to live and thrive in those seasons with joy and true fullness and abundance. And so I think I can see that shift. So it's worth it. And if you're just at the beginning, just know, like it might not be overnight. It might not be this month or next month, but like if you do the hard work now,
1: the payoff is tenfold. I absolutely endorse that and believe that. And I think I think that's on my best days. I'm like so thankful that I have this energy and this drive to do that work because I really, like you said, I believe that. I mean, it's it's gonna it will be years in the making, and it's not you got to be in it for the long game. But the abundance that you have in your life in the meantime, and the abundance of life that you have to look forward to, is just even richer and deeper than you can imagine if you are willing to lean in and do that work and to to press in and and really be present to pain and really be present to what is being asked of you daily to you know, give up or to die to, or the work that's set ahead of you. So that's one of my favorite things about being friends with you is just getting to, getting to see someone walk that, out every day and live that and just be an encouragement and inspiration to other people in the meantime. So I just love that about you. Seriously. I mean, I'm so thankful. I mean, too, like we are both really intense
0: personalities. So it's like, it's not like we like to sit around and feel pain. Like let's do something about it. But sometimes being and sitting in it is doing. And so I feel like we are so lucky to have each other and to have you know to, to also be in a generation that values this a little bit more. You know, to be able to have these tools in our tool belt in our
1: late 20s, like better to do it now together than when we're 65. Mhm. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've talked about this a little bit, but last year I attended this week-long intensive therapy at, at a place called Onsite here in it's a little bit outside of Nashville and our therapist is amazing. She's highly trained. Our very first day, she drew this big box up on the whiteboard and she wrote pain box. And she was, and she basically just told us, she was like, okay, this is this week. You guys are going to have to walk through the pain box. And this is what, you know, she was like, what are you guys looking for? And, you know, people were saying things like they were looking for sobriety and for healed marriages and for whole families and like, you know, dreams that are fulfilled and all, you know, all the things. And she's like, that's great. Those are all on the other side. You guys have to go through the pain box. And she made us all go around and say our what our biggest inhibiting factor to the pain box was. And a lot of people, it was just fear of taking that first step into it. And then some people, it was, you know, that they were going to get in the pain box and they were literally going to die because it was just too terrible to talk about, childhood wounds and all of their past mistakes. And when it was my turn, I was like, I just want to hurry up and get through it. Like I'm fine to step into it, but let's just get through. What do I need to do to get to the other side? And she looked at me and she was like, Meredith, this week you need to just practice being in the pain box. And I was like, No, please, no. But it's so I I know. I was like, let's just let's just get this over with. But I think it's so fascinating. Um, and kind of connecting back to the Enneagram, that it's the same kind of journey that everyone's on. It just looks a little bit different in terms of the way that you're wired and your motivations and your fears, and just kind of the way that you see the world in addition to your experiences and just you know, just that, that trajectory, how it it's very similar, but it plays out a little bit differently for everyone. So,
0: man, I love, I, I really, I joke all the time. Like, I can't wait till David's out of school. Cause I just want to send us through onsite for fun, <laughs> which no one thinks like that, but I'm like, but it'll be so worth it. Like <laughs> Meredith did it last year and it was the best thing ever. And I want to do it. So
1: I know I, am. I'm such a nerd, part of our budget for 2018 included me going back there's this it's called the daring Brene way yes oh my god um it's called so it's one of Brene Brown she had a lot of a lot of a huge hand in creating this program but it's called the daring way and so that was part of my 2018 personal goals and financial goals was to save up and go back and Justin was like you're just really weird and I don't really know what to do with you but if you want to go back you're more than welcome to um, <laughs> so so I'm right there with you, Kelsey. So I love it's it. Great. It's hard, but it's, it's so worth it. It's, it's amazing.
0: Man, I'm so, I, I literally, I don't know if I would be in a thriving marriage in a successful place in my career that actually is profitable if I hadn't done my personal work, you know? And I, I think that someone asked me, few weeks ago, like what have been the best strategies in building your business? And it was like focusing on my mental and emotional health. Like that has moved the needle more than any strategy I've ever implemented in my business. And so I'm just so thankful to be able to do that and to have friends like you who also value that. It's not taboo in our friendship or our friend circles to talk about it. And I think, ooh, what would you have to say you know, for someone listening who doesn't really have the budget
1: or it's so taboo where they're from to talk about this stuff. Gosh, I would say one, you were unbelievably courageous to even kind of be dipping your toe into that world and looking, wanting to, wanting to go down that path. Cause that's a hard path to go down. And it's especially hard when you don't have, um, a tribe of people with you that are on that same, that same trajectory. I would say, I would say keep, keep doing it. Keep waking up every day. Keep doing it. Keep leaning into that work because kind of like what we talked about, there is abundance to be had. And I think that it's really easy to settle for kind of a cheap counterfeit version of life that it's, it's good. I was talking to my therapist last week and And she was like, you know, it's, she was like, I think that you just have this really foundational struggle with just being okay with eating casserole for dinner. And I just laughed so hard because I was like, that resonates with me so much. She was like, casseroles, they're fine. She was like, they're usually made with good things. They've got cheese in them, but she was like, but it's not like eating a steak that's cooked to perfection. And I was like, yes. I was like, you're speaking my language with food and with like therapy and emotional health and everything. But I think, I think it is hard when you, you feel that deeper pull and you know, you, you have this thing that's like, I know that there's something more out there. I know that I was created for more, or I know that this is not my best. I know that there's abundance to be had, but to get there, it's a journey and it's a process. It's hard to make that decision to say, I'm going to dive headlong into this, even if it means that I have to go alone for part of the journey until I can I can find my people that, this, that are on that same path together. I would say to those people, oh my gosh, you guys are actually my heroes. You are so strong. You are so courageous, so amazing. Because I think like you, Kelsey, I'm so deeply thankful to have friends like you and to have the best husband in the world who wakes up every day and works harder than anyone I know in his business, but also personally just really... Waking up to do the work that's set before him, you know, for his spiritual health, his emotional health, his mental health, all of it. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say to those people. I
0: agree. I think that we all start somewhere. So, you know, again, I, I had first few years of David and I being married and starting my business. Like, we didn't have a ton of extra cash. But we figured out ways to make a little extra here and there to value that and and to prioritize that because we we knew we wanted to leave a specific legacy with our family and didn't have all the tools in our tool belt to get there. And, and we were on a walk, yes, a few days ago, joking like, gosh, I had no idea. Like, I had no idea when we got married what tools in my tool belt I did not have. Yeah. But we're so thankful we've just both been willing to learn. I think neither you're not going to get it perfect. Everyone's going to have issues whether it's in their marriage, their friendships, their business. But it is, I think willingness goes a long way because there's no way you're going to go into it getting it 100%, right? And so if you're willing to learn and grow and change and get healthier with time, that's that's
1: all you need. Yeah. Yeah, really it is. It is about that willingness to do that. This has been fun. I know. I love this. Okay. A couple, a couple questions. Some are a little bit off the wall. If you could be anything in the world, what would you be? And I know for you, Kelsey, you're like, anything's possible, which I absolutely endorse that as well. But if you like had some outrageous, crazy dream of like, Oh, I want to be an astronaut or, or I want to be a marine biologist and,
0: you know, whatever. What would you do? Well, I think I would have a show and I would be Oprah meets Ellen meets yes. Marie Forleo. So like <laughs> the spirituality of Oprah, uh-huh. the fun of Ellen and inclusivity of Ellen and Oprah, and then the, the quirky but business savvy of Marie. And I love so that. that is what I would like. But again, it doesn't feel outrageous. I'm like, no. oh, it'll happen at some point. No, I think
1: that's, that will totally be you. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Next question. Okay. What's the biggest lie that you have had to confront and dismantle in your life, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your personal life, in your marriage, in your spiritual journey, what's one of the biggest lies that you've had to do the work to dismantle? And what has that What's it look like after you can live in the freedom of the truth?
0: Ooh, girl, this is what I spent all, y- all last year working on, <laughs> the, that the rug's going to be pulled out from under me. And it's so funny because when you do believe a lie, there will be a lot of circumstances, especially if you like, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. And so for my listeners, y'all will resonate. Like the second you have a, belie- a lie you buy into, Satan will come and reinforce situations To reinforce that lie over and over and over again. So whether it was finances in my business, whether it was failing, whether it was, you know, something not performing as correctly or as, as well as I would like for it to, that lie, oh my God, I had to battle that all year last year. And I, I had to look back and see where that began in my life and how I bought into it and then how I could combat it. And so the funny thing is, is I'm in a career that it's easy to buy into that lie. I run 50 to 60 Instagram accounts a month and the algorithm's always changing. So I've literally had dinner parties where I am, I've sobbed with I just had a bad day and they were already supposed to come over and then I just broke down in the middle of dinner with all my friends around the table about how stressed I was because Here I was already combating the lie that the rug could be pulled out from under me with a very real possibility that that's true when an algorithm changes. And I joke all the time, I do not understand how tech startup founders live. Like the level of cortisol (laughs) going through their body at any given moment has to be crazy. But for me, you know, already struggling with this lie, having a husband in school... So we're pretty much living off of one income during these whole past few years. And then having a business built on top of an ever changing software that at any given moment could change my income, could change our level of stability in our lives. That has been so hard. And I really felt like all last year, I felt like I was on the verge of breakthrough with that. But my therapist was like, Kelsey, if you do not get a grip on This lie and on believing the rug's going to be pulled out from under you, you will not really be able to experience the breakthrough you think is coming. And I was like, Whoa, okay. I really felt a shift. And I started again working on that actively in like February. Saw a shift in December, but the biggest like scare of my life came in November. Felt a shift in December. And then again in January, there was an algorithm change. And I got really scared. That's the dinner party I cried at. And I went and saw my counselor and she was like, Kelsey, your word for this year was abundance. Are you going to fight for it? You can buy into the lie that it's all going to fall apart, or you can look at the situation and say, thank you, God, for abundance. I know that this will work out. I'm going to believe that goodness is right around the corner. Not everything's going to fall apart. And once I really took that opportunity to lean into abundance and that we're moving from glory to glory, and I'm not talking a prosperity gospel here, but I am saying like I'm going to move from glory to glory with God, whether that's in the hard seasons or the good, because I believe He can hold joy and pain simultaneously. And I learned that more than ever last year. But when I leaned into, I'm going to believe for abundance, my business doubled in January and then it's consistently gotten better this year. And so really just recognizing the lie. And then you're, you're invited to combat that over and over again. And I've, I've seen that totally change my life. So that's
1: probably the biggest lie I've had to overcome. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's so powerful. Okay. Last one. This is kind of a fun one. What are your favorite things right now? It can be anything from favorite book that you just read, favorite podcast, favorite, you know, new you know snacks or what what is it what is it that you have every night you always have your uh, cookies
0: and brownies my chocolate bar of choice is alter eco which is a chocolate toffee bar that's kind of natural that's a Ooh. good that was a good step in my life because it's better than brownies every night to have half a chocolate bar and then I really just read a great book called when life gives you lululemons and it's Ooh. I don't ever read okay hold on Nonfiction fiction is true fiction is not true I never read fiction I only read memoirs and uh-huh. so was like I want a story and this this was the sequel to Devil Wears Prada and so I plowed through it in like three days and it was awesome oh that's
1: so fun I'll have to, <laughs> have to look into it
0: it was a good it was a good one I was like man I should have saved that for the beach oh yes it's, it's over now. It's I'm very done.
1: crucial to get the right reads for the beach. It is because if you if you
0: tow those books on a plane and you get there you don't even like them, it's such a disappointment.
1: Yeah, not to mention you're at the beach and nobody wants to read terrible, boring, really heavy no. things at the beach. It's like this is nice self help, but I yeah. want to get lost in a story. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: Oh, love it. Well, Kelsey, this has been so fun to get to be on the other side interviewing you, letting your listeners hear about you since you're always interviewing other people. So this has been so fun. Hey,
0: I've had a blast. And guys, stay tuned because Meredith is going to be speaking at one of the next Radiant Retreats. So.